Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice and Gav Buckland and Adam Jones as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. We've had a week off, but we are back with a bumper edition of the pod because there is plenty to get uh, our teeth stuck into. Um, transfers, of course, there is no movement particularly, but, of course, it doesn't exist doesn't stop the news. Uh, lines on Gabriel, uh, Decore, Allen, uh, of course, they're the three names I'm sure that you have been talking amongst yourselves about this week and we'll discuss them on here. We'll look at the fixtures. Uh, on Thursday, the fixtures for the new season were confirmed, of course, pending TV um, rearrangements, but we get to know roughly who the Blues are up against and when. Uh, of course, and the first pre-season game of the summer is tomorrow a trip to Blackpool, Bloomfield Road, and for Carlo Ancelotti's men. So, um, plenty to get stuck into. Um, Pran, I'll start with you. We're going to start with Gabriel. We'll get that one out of the way first. Um, the Brazilian defender, 22, from Lille, uh, a player that the club uh, had tracked for a long time um, and had made headway on, on progressing a deal bef- before COVID. But now, of course, our understanding is that they've pulled out, walked away from the deal and it looks like the, the, the player will actually be heading um, to Arsenal. Um, Everton had a valuation for the player but were unwilling to, to meet the asking price. Um, are you concerned that it looks now at this point certainly that we won't be adding a defender um, to the squad? A little disappointed, possibly not concerned. I think the significance of the move for me is that it just underlines the shift in thinking in Everton's transfer policy from, you know, some maybe three, four years ago when, um, you know, Farhad Mashida was willing to bankroll, you know, so literally, you know, whatever the manager wanted, it was always going to be like a, a little boy in a sweet shop type of mentality. And as a result, we ended up with a, a very, very top-heavy squad uh, with lots of players that you know, so aren't really fit for current purpose, exacerbated, of course, by the fact that we've changed managers so many times during that time scale. Uh, but even now, some of the mistakes made, you know, so three and four years ago, uh, we're struggling to move on and uh, we're, we're still paying for now. So it's quite reassuring in that respect, in that the club's being a little bit more prudently run and not willing to commit, um, you know, sort of big funds, uh, especially right now, you know, sort of given the, you know, the financial climate that's been affected quite significantly by COVID and the fact that we're playing in front of uh, empty stage at the moment. But that still doesn't stop you from being a little bit disappointed because he is, you know, clearly a very good player. He's clearly highly sought after. But I understand why the club has taken the stance that they have. So, double-edged sword, really. A little bit of disappointment, but tempered by a little bit of reassurance that the club is being quite prudent and quite sensible in the way it's going about things nowadays. I don't think maybe for, maybe some supporters would be looking at the news and listening to this and going, well, why for a player that clearly was high up on the, on the uh, wish list at the start of the year, a player that had been tracked for a long time, a player who's 
whose potential deal had been worked on before COVID. Why, why, why couldn't we or why were we not prepared to pay the asking price, which give, give or take may have been somewhere between maybe five and seven million disparity? Um, mm. You know, why, why, why did the club not say, well, actually, we really wanted this lad anyway. We have to still go and do it. In, in my head, I, th- I think that maybe perhaps the club is learning a little bit from the uh, the Kurt Zuma saga that happened last summer. Obviously, we had we had other other targets at that stage, but Kurt Zuma was obviously the one that was uh, that was pursued throughout the summer. And you know, we he'd been on loan with us, and you know, there was obviously a thinking that you know, we could perhaps convince Kurt Zuma to come to us on a permanent basis. Obviously, that didn't happen, and then. You know, other things transpired, and we didn't end up getting a centre back uh, over the line. And I think, you know, especially you, you've had your talks before uh, before COVID came in, and you know they they went promisingly. And you know, perhaps if this if this uh, pandemic hadn't took over, then we'd be sat here now with Gabriel as an Everton player. But unfortunately, that's just not the way the world works sometimes, and uh, it it's opened up the door to. Potentially, you know, we've seen interest from the likes of Napoli, Chelsea, Manchester United, and as you say, Arsenal uh, over the last few weeks as well. So that just it just complicates matters, doesn't it? And it, it, it increasingly just looked like this was going to be this long, drawn-out saga uh, for a player who, you know, it would cost a significant amount of money to bring to the club. And especially when you consider that Everton do have other sort of priority positions, and I will get on to talk about the central midfield in a little bit. But you know, with Everton having so many priority positions, I think this is just a case where Everton have gone. Look, if this is going to take us however many weeks to get over, move on to one of our other targets. Let's just let's just get all the positions sorted and come back to this one because you know, as as Prenner alluded to, you know, we've still got. Three really good senior options at centre back at the minute. We've got two promising youngsters in Lewis Gibson and Jared Branthwaite to call upon as well. So I don't think we necessarily need a, a big money centre back as much as we obviously do need big money central midfielders to come in. So I'd like to think perhaps Everton are maybe learning from their mistakes a little bit from last year in terms of this one. So I'm I'm fairly pleased to see a, a decision like this being made. Gav. Um... Mason Holgate, Michael Keane, Yerry Mina and Jared Branthwaite, brackets with the understanding that Lewis Gibson will go out on loan. Um, they, they, at this stage, are likely to be the four centre-half options going into next season. How do you feel about that? Um, if you'd have said to me before the, the lockdown games, as I were, those now at the end of the season, I said we'd be taking the risk, as you well know. I like the idea of four centre-halves, always have done. In the past, having three has cost us. But I haven't seen Brantway play during the summer, uh, as it were. I'm a little bit more confident that that, you know, and especially Gibson, maybe he's there or maybe not. I think those four will be um, sufficient because I think we've got more pressing needs elsewhere. And I'd rather see money spent in the midfield than saying on the centre-half that maybe might not get, you know, a full set of games. So I'm I'm okay with that going forward as long as that money that was set aside for Gabriel is, is used elsewhere to strengthen the team. Mm. Okay, well we, we will move on to, to to the central midfield then, Prell. Um, I, I think because I think everybody, or certainly the majority of Evertonians, would say that it is the it is the priority area to strengthen. Um, we'll take each name individually, um, but we'll start with Decore. Um, 
understanding is that they're interested and obviously that the club were interested last summer, of course. Um, what, what, do you, what would you think about his, his addition if, if a deal could be made? I'd be delighted. Um, clearly, he's a player that wants to come uh, to Goodison. You know, we're told he was uh, enthusiastic about the idea last season, and he just ticks so many boxes. I mean, if, if anything, he's almost the kind of player that maybe we hoped Gabanin was going to be, um, in that he's got presence, he's got stature, um, you know, he's mobile, he can, you know, sort of move around the, the area. And it's a part of the the, the squad that needs absolutely massive attention. I mean, we've said it so many times on this pod that you know the midfield you know, unit just wasn't fit for purpose last season. An awful lot of you know sort of talented players that don't really fit into one cohesive blend, and uh, you know need one certainly two uh, you know sort of new individuals in that part of the team. And Decore, I, I like the sound of enormously. Um, you know, so every, everything you've seen from him, he's always had a good game whenever he's played against Everton, which always helps. <laughs> uh, but he just, I don't know, he just seems to fit, fit the bill, you know, as to what, we, what we're lacking at the moment in that part of the pitch. Um, you know, he's a lot of different qualities all melded into one, but just presence, stature, strength, and the ability to, you know, sort of break, you know, sort of opposition moves up and keep the ball moving simple. Yeah, he looks like a very, very good fit and, uh, you know, a player I'd be delighted to get on board. Mm. Ad, um, Zakura is 27, turns 28 mm. on New Year's Day. Um, he would not necessarily fit into um, the sort of the strategy uh, implemented by Marcel Brands in terms of investing significant sums in anybody outside of the 20 to 25, 26 bracket. But do you think he, he's an exception worth making? And it, yeah, <laughs> I, I certainly do because, uh, especially in those games post uh, the return from lockdown, I think you just looked at that central midfield area, especially when we were playing in Ancelotti's preferred system of a four-four-two, and there was just there was just so much wrong with with with, uh, with the personnel that we had there. Obviously, you know we've got some very, like top quality players in their own right, but they just don't fit into that four-four-two sort of system. I just don't think. You know, Carlo Ancelotti spoke about wanting to bring more energy into the midfield. And I just don't think the likes of, you know, Gomez and Tom Davis, let's say, they're not, you're not going to class them as energetic sort of central midfielders, are you? Whereas someone like Abdoulaye Decore, I think, you know, as, as Preno says, I think all Everton fans will have watched him over the past couple of seasons for Watford. And he certainly can provide that. And I think what I like about him is that he's not just a defensively minded sort of presence. He's not just going to be that player who sits in front of the back four and, you know, is just going to be that sort of defensive midfielder. He can also affect things at the other end of the pitch as well. You know, he's he's a really smart sort of footballer when he gets towards the edge of the penalty box. He knows when to have a shot. He knows when to, when to play an intricate sort of little pass as well, which I think that maybe flies under the radar a little bit when, uh, when people talk about Takore. So, you know... It, Age, I understand he's going to fall out of this bracket that Marcel Brands obviously prefers to work with. But I think when we're in a position where our midfield options are so depleted in terms of you know the system that Ancelotti wants to play, I think we have just got to break that trend a little bit and try and uh, and just try and improve the quality of the team now. Gav, um, I'm going to say the most difficult question for you as always. <laughs> Twenty twenty-seven. Uh, he's got just under three years left on his contract. What should he be? So, what should the value of Decore to Everton be? How much should we be prepared to pay 
Watford to uh, to sign him. But there's two aspects to that, isn't it? The transfer fee and the wage bill, isn't it? Yes. You know, so I mean, more often than not these days, contracts cost more, wages cost more than the transfer fee, don't they? Yes. In a lot of cases, so it, it's the whole deal. Um, I I don't know. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I'm a big fan of buying quality. This is a Moise type deal, isn't it? Fairly buying the best players from relegated clubs or clubs near the bottom. Um, even though being done across the park, but you'd be talking. You know, you you still have limited resale values. Now you won't be going on a free after three years, will he? But you'd be, I mean, I think twenty twenty five million would probably be the the rate you would say. Um, but then mm. you've got to throw in the wages, haven't you? You know, so it's it's all. I don't think the transfer fee is the issue here. Our big issue is the wage bill, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Um, my under, my understanding is he's probably on about fifty k a week at Watford, somewhere yeah. in that region. So with with the expectation that he would probably get a pay rise um, if yeah. he joined us, do you, do you see do you see that as something that should be should be pursued? Yeah, I, I've not got. I mean, I agree with what Penno and Adam said. Having both both questions is that he gives us something. He's a proven Premier League performer. He also gives us a few a bit more of a goal set that we've not really had from Middle Park for for several years now. Um, and I, I, I've not got a problem if you buy him, but at the same time, we balance the books by getting rid of other people. You know, yeah. so so the obvious one there is, I mean, and this is going to prove really difficult for us. Is you bring Takora in, who's a goal threat in the middle of the park. What does that mean for Sigurdsson? Well, you know, um, so there's there's um, there's a couple of couple of uh, couple of aspects to that. Not got a problem paying the fee and the wages. But as long as we balance the books at the end of the day, mm. we've said this before, haven't we? I mean, for, for me, Gilfie Sigurdsson is a very, very talented footballer that just doesn't fit into the system that Carlo Ancelotti wants to play. So, you know, reluctantly, I think you have to uh, count him as expendable. Um, he's not going to fit in. You're not going to play him on the left of midfield again, are you? We're not going to play with a number ten. Therefore, you know, he's not going to play there. Uh, if Takure does come on board, if Alan comes on board as well. You know, you've got two recognised central midfield players there that can play in a four-four-two, whereas Sigurdsson can't. So yeah, he's the one player I think that you know looks most likely to be uh, to be moved on. Um, Tom Davis is another one to be mentioned as a possibility, uh, but you know he does fit into more of that four-four-two system more comfortably than Sigurdsson was. So for me, he's the guy that actually stands out as the player that looks most uh, most vulnerable. I think. Pan, I'll, I'll stick with you because you mentioned Alan and we were obviously going to come round to, to talking about him anyway. Do we need both Decore and Alan? I, personally, I don't think we do need both of them, no. But Ancelotti obviously wants them both and he'll want them both for a reason. You know, he's rebuilding that midfield entirely uh, and let's face it, it needs it. I mean, how many times last season did we see, you know, control of games go missing, you know, so far too frequently? Everson dominated far too frequently. And that's where, you know, so your domination of, you know, the ball actually starts from. So he obviously is trying to rebuild that from scratch. And if he thinks that we need two players, even though, you know, their age appears to be against them in terms of the, the philosophy that the club is trying to introduce, so be it. Um, the better players what we've already got on board at the moment for those particular positions. So, yes, I'd have no qualms whatsoever about bringing both on board. Whether we physically need them both, uh, I'm not so sure, uh, but great, yeah, you know, the more the merrier. 
I mean, the fact that you get new players on board as well, it has an impact around the squad. It just makes people, you know, up their game that little bit more. You haven't got players that can drift through matches and can do very, very little and know they're going to keep the place or still be in the squad the following week. If you've got more people around the training ground who are fresh and who are new and are keen to make an impression on their new teammates and on their new manager, that gets a reaction from other players around them as well. So, yeah, that's another reason why I think possibly the two players coming in for that position could have a real knock-on effect, you know, so elsewhere. Ad, we mentioned Abdoulaye de Cure turns 28 on January the 1st. Um, Alan will be um, 30 uh, a week later. Mm. Spending significant sums of money, the type of which have been reported, I want to say daily, almost hourly, in the Italian press, doesn't sit right with me that we would spend thirty million pounds on a player who could turn th- who turns thirty in f- five months' time. Um, wh- mm. What do you feel about that? Or do you feel that now is the time to bend the strategy a little bit, make a couple of exceptions by signing a Decoure at 27-28 and Allen twenty nine turning thirty? I think in 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 different circumstances, I probably would agree with uh, with. With that feeling, because you know, at the, at the end of the day, you, you just don't want to be seeing uh, the club off, offsetting so much money on uh, players who are just about to turn thirty. But at the same time, this is clearly, like, speaking in terms of purely Allen, this is this is a player clearly Carlo Ancelotti really, really, really likes. You know, it was only January twenty nineteen he was getting linked with a move to PSG. You know, when they were. Uh, and they were chasing Idrissa Guy as well. It was seemed to be between Guy and Alan that they were going to go for. And Ancelotti called uh, Alan the future of Napoli uh, back then, which was obviously good enough to keep him to keep him at the club. And then PSG signed Idrissa Guy instead. And then uh, it was only in November uh, last season when Napoli went to Anfield and took a one-one draw back in the group stages of the Champions League. Carlo Ancelotti was called on Alan the best player on the pitch in that game. So this is this is quite clearly a player that Carlo Ancelotti likes, and he has a lot of faith in. And you know, if anybody, if anybody's going to know the kind of the physical attributes of Alan, let's say, you know, you know, just how hard he pushes himself in training, how often he gets himself, you know, little knocks or injuries or anything like that. If anyone knows Alan physically, it's going to be Carlo Ancelotti mm. with the amount of time that he's already spent with him. So. If Carlo Ancelotti wants to bring Alan to this football club and he thinks Alan is going to be uh, not just somebody who can improve the squad, or but also be somebody who will prove to be worth the investment, then to be honest, I'd, I'd just put full faith in them and just say, right, okay, we will, we will forget about the age at this one, and you know, I'd, I'd just say, put full uh, put full faith behind them. Mm. Uh, two things before we move on to Gav. One, if you want to read. More of, of what Adam was talking about there on Alan and why Ancelotti rates him. He did a really good piece earlier in the week um, to check that out. Secondly, if you're sad enough like me, then you will have YouTube videoed it, Alan. And anybody who will have watched any YouTube videos of Alan will know that he likes to tackle anything that moves. So, um, yeah. Gav, is it, two things for you here, here then on Alan, firstly. 30 in January, and heaven forbid, you know, this wouldn't happen, but you have to be realistic about things. 30 years old, he's only potentially a serious injury away from not being the player he is now. And it, and us getting into ourselves into a position of a, 
you know, having players over the age of 30 on decent contracts who we can't shift. So that would be the first yeah. point. Do, do you share that concern or do you think at this point where we are at the football club with a manager of Ancelotti's stature um, and ability, etc., going into a first full season, he has to be backed how he wants to be backed with the players he wants regardless of age? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A um, couple of things on that. For paying Carlo, whatever the, his figure is, nine million a year or whatever, um, and he asks for a player, you're obliged to uh, to to, to uh, undertake your best efforts to to buy to buy him, aren't you? I also said a few weeks ago, Phil, that I expected in the transfer window that Carlo might go to a former club and buy one of his players. You did, yes, you did. Some somebody that he can trust. I suspect at the end of last season he saw some of the attitudes of the players and think I need to bring somebody in here who can work with, who I trust, who sort of be my player on the pitch. And I, I suspect that's also one of the reasons why he has um, looked at Alan and, and Monson. And the, the other thing about the ages to say about Alan and Zakora is I think we uh, we need to see their ages in the context of the age of the Everton midfield, don't you? So we've got five or six players in there now. Say we haven't signed them. But in a hypothetical, we did sign him. We've got two young mid midfielders who are still relatively young, haven't we? Davis and, G- and Gababin. Yes. Yeah. Then you've got Andre Gomez, who's what, 27, is it something like that? Yeah. And then you've got, you know, these two. So the, the problem is if you brought two midfielders in, in, in say, 22, 23, you've got potential and sort of fits in with the transfer sort of strategy you want. You've then got a really useful midfielder, one through from players largely, haven't you? Mm. So, in many respects, we're forced down this route in the midfield because of the ages of the people that are there already. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I if as long as you make the savings elsewhere in the business to, to justify paying and the, 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 the wages and the, and, the, and the risk, as you say. I also well, think that people complement each other quite well. I think Alan will sit, wouldn't he? Though he yeah. can play a little bit more forwards and Decor, he'd be more, more the box-to-box type. So, style-wise, I think they will complement each other. Uh, well, on that second point, Gav, which you, you, you've touched on, and I'm going to stay with you for this one. If, and it's a big if, of course, the football club signed Decore, if the football club also signed Allen, something has got to give elsewhere in the midfield, hasn't it? So, so whose head is on the chopping block in that regard? Who makes way for these two players? Or the addition of the second one? Well, I mean, I think some of these, well, there's people who go elsewhere on the pitch, isn't there? You know, um, which for sure in midfield, Kababan is not necessarily going to be fit. I think the sorts of saying a bit longer than what people thought. Yes. So I wouldn't say necessarily the midfield. Um, we've obviously got Delph on the periphery of that, mm. haven't we? It's all the usual suspects, isn't it, in the squad? You know, you could you could you could name them name five or six players. You know, from Tosin, uh, Sigurdsson. Yeah. You know all that all that group. So, so you, still, we have message message you still. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, so I, I, based, I, based I, on the squad, based on the squad that finished the season. So, you, so would, you, would you be sort of advocating or or sort of saying you'd be comfortable with actually not necessarily taking out a, um, another central midfielder to allow both Allen and Decore to come in, but actually taking away from left wing, for example. We we, we don't need. We can sell Bernard and use those wages to bring. Yeah, in another, yeah. Right. Absolutely. I mean, because absolutely. So I think we need to see this as a squad thing. Uh, and there's plenty of players on the periphery that we could sell. And that's, you know, 
that's a big ask in the present environment. Mm. To, to sort of pay for uh, the core and Allen. I, I don't see the, the the plays that we've gone off the we've got off the wage bill early in the summer as being wages that we pay the core and Allen. We need to get them off to just try and balance the books. Yeah. So um, we need to, you know, and I think there's been pieces you've done the last few weeks, isn't it? That uh, the importance, obviously, if we're buying plays that we need to sell at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and I, as I say, going back to my data points at the start, of the pod, I've not got a problem buying uh, Alan Zakora if if we pay for them by selling other players elsewhere. If we don't sell other players, then that becomes an issue. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kind of just a quick one for you, actually, mate, as we come back around. Um, in, in a bid to sort of be as, as economical but make money go as far as possible to address the needs of the squad, would you be willing to keep Delph, um, you know, not, not look to sell him or move him on um, to bring in one of those two midfielders, but instead actually keep him on and say, look, you can play central midfield, Fabian, but also, Fabian, Dean, so you remove that headache for us of having to go and find a replacement for Leighton Baines. Yeah, I don't see any value at all in moving Fabian Delph on. Uh, we're not going to get much for him in terms of a transfer fee or anything. And we haven't seen anything like what, what he can produce. We know from his time, you know, so at Manchester City, what an influential and um, what an important player he can be. Unfortunately, injuries meant that we just never saw that at all last season. So if we can keep our fingers crossed and hope that that was just a freakish, you know, sort of introduction to Everton and we're going to see a slightly more consistent um, degree of fitness from him. Yeah, you know, so by all means, keep hold of him. We know he can be a good player. Uh, I know his injury record has been mixed throughout his career. Uh, and obviously, as a player gets older, that's not going to improve any. Uh, but I just think, you know, so if he is going to be, in inverted commas, a squad player and not used week in and week out, and obviously from what you've said there as well, the fact that he can also play in another position in the pitch, uh, which will be very important, a position which caused Everton by surprise because I don't think anybody was expecting, you know, mm-hmm. so Leighton Baines uh, to move on. Yep, I think there's, uh, the, the, the value in keeping him uh, far outweighs the value in trying to move him on. Uh, so, yeah, 100%, keep hold of him. OK, uh, moving on. Uh, good... Uh... Interesting analysis and insight there, chaps. Thank you very much. Uh, moving on, uh, Thursday morning was fixtures day. First up for the Blues, of course, is a trip to Spurs. Uh, still le- uh, legend for September the 12th. Of course, we wait TV announcements to see if that will be moved. Um, Adam, Adam, what was your thoughts when you saw that uh, as an opening day fixture? <laughs> it's not great, is it? <laughs> let's, let's be honest. Uh, we'd have all preferred to have a home game against some sort of like mid-table or even like any sort of promoted team just to try and ease us back into the season. But uh, yeah, you can see you can see a trip to Spurs being uh, a pretty tough tough fixture to be honest. Uh, so uh, especially if you know the new signings are going to be coming in uh, later rather than sooner. Like to if we were if we were like heaven forbid 
to be going to Spurs with the current with the squad that we finished last season with. I think we'd uh, we'd certainly struggle. So yeah, fingers crossed we can get some new signings in before that point. Mm, the Hoyberg derby, um, Gav. <laughs> um, first five, first five fixtures: Spurs away, West Brom at home, Palace away, Brighton at home, Liverpool at home. Um, how many points should, should we get out of there? Fifteen. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, I, think, thought, no. I thought you'd fallen over in shock then. <laughs> yeah. I have. No, but I think I think to be honest with you, yeah, um don't you think it's a, the fixes are all a bit unreal in the in the in the sort of still under lockdown and no crowds? It's not it's not the same, isn't it, when you look at the games in MC Stadium or maybe partially full by then. Um but apart from Spurs, the, the three games between Spurs and the Derby are, are eminently winnable, and, and also the first game of the season at Spurs. You know, we could. I think we get a result there. I'm not, you know. Well, you know what my predictions were like last season. So, <laughs> <laughs> but just just stay on on the, on the fans thing, then, um, Gav. I mean, obviously, current understanding is that you know the government and the Premier League would obviously look to try and introduce some fans back into the grounds for October. Um, and, and obviously, the game that, that obviously mean, where it means most to fans, of course, is the derby. Do you think that, you know, are we, is it unfair to have, have um, some fans, say, in, in the first half of the season, which includes the derby at Goodison, but then if the situation improved markedly, to then suddenly have the ability to have all fans in Anfield and all fans in in, in the reverse fixtures that that for me doesn't doesn't sit right because it feels like there's a disadvantage and advantage um, mixed up in that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I also get the fact that we'd be one of the clubs heavily penalised from that, won't we? In terms of we do we play five of the big six before Christmas at home? Mm. Yeah, play five of the big six away when they could have full stages. So. I do get that. I'm just thinking at the moment, um, it's 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 all a bit. So always that's being thrown out the window, as as we know, because it needs to complete fixtures. And, and I I think you know I think there's just an agreement that people will accept within the game, that people will accept inequality it means you can play the games, and as you say, get the income from television. Of course, whether it's fair or not is a different different thing. I don't think it's fair. But I think clubs are willing to accept that inequality to ensure that they can fulfil their fill the, fulfil their fixtures. To be honest with you, yeah, absolutely. Um, Preno, why is why is fixture day such such an excitement? Why, why is there a buzz? Because we know start of every season we'll play thirty eight games, nineteen at home, nineteen away against you know the same teams bar three. Um, why, why, is it, why does it always create such a buzz? Well, I'm going to be the, the, the cynical, dour old fella, a bit like Gavin here, in that um, I, I was left a little bit cold by it this year. Normally, there is a buzz because you've had, you know, best part of two months without any kind of football. You're desperate to see uh, who you're going to be facing again, what games you can go to. Uh, you're planning your trips around Christmas time. You know, you're planning the away days you can get to. That didn't happen this year. It was I likened it to if you want to like a literary reference, it's uh, like a little match girl with a you know nose pressed against the window, um, or if you want a more modern cultural reference, Jim Bowen from Bullseye is what you could have won. And I just I just <laughs> felt a little bit like that. 
in the all right Spurs away. Yeah, I'd love to go to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, but you can't. Oh, right. You know, so yeah. a couple of home games that look winnable early doors, but you can't actually watch them. And so I felt a little bit frustrated and a little bit, you know, sort of let down by, by the fixture announcements this year. I mean, uh, you know, Liverpool's first game against Leeds under normal circumstances, you know, be, be a great one to watch on telly there. But again, you just think, well, so what? There's like no fans in there. It makes no difference. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, it's quite frustrating this time round. Um, and the, the quick turnaround as well, the fact that we were playing football as late as July the 26th and we've got a pre-season friendly only like, you know, so four weeks later and then we're back into, you know, sort of the you know, full scale of things again three weeks later. It's all a bit surreal, all a little bit strange. So it's a very different uh, fixture announcement day this year. In the past, yes, it is exciting. I mean, we get them in advance, as you know, like you, know, you get them at seven o'clock in the morning and you start getting pestered galore from people, you know, so please tell us, please tell us <laughs> before the actual announcements at nine o'clock. And didn't get much of that this year, like what one or two text messages, but you know, so not, nothing quite the same. So it's all a bit strange, it's all a bit surreal. It's a bunch of fixtures that you know you're not going to be able to go to. So yeah, it's strange. I mean, uh, I, I was just delighted by the fact that you know we can go and watch some football uh, in the short term. And I think um, tier seven of the the football pyramid is now allowing fans back in. I think that includes Marine. So I might yeah. be going down the road to watch Marine <laughs> before I can watch the season. Absolutely. Um, well, well uh, Everton's next game, of course, is the pre friendly at Blackpool tomorrow, uh, Saturday. Um, Ad, would you expect to see Carlo utilise effectively two different teams in either half at this stage? Or given that the season starts again in, what, three weeks, we might see more of, of, a, of a strong team out for a little bit longer? Uh, no, I think, I think you'd have to still uh, try and do, well, try and use as many players as possible, really, not just in terms of you know, perhaps having you know a final sort of look at some of them in sort of match action, uh, uh, while we're still in the midst of the transfer window, so just trying to get a little glimpse of where he still might need to uh, prioritise and make some additions, but also just to get some math, match fitness into as many players as possible. I know we've only uh, we've only finished the previous campaign about three or four weeks ago, but you know, a little break from action is still going to have a little bit of an effect on players. So you know, being able to give as many players as possible, forty-five minutes. I think is going to be uh, is going to be quite useful in terms of that. So yeah, I'd like I'd, uh, I'd like to see him try and use two uh, two teams if he possibly could. Mm. Gav, anybody that you um, and, and, and appreciate, you, you know, it's, you may not or may watch it, but anybody on Saturday that's got a particular point to prove at Blackpool? I know it's early. Uh, everyone, <laughs> given given the way we finished. The end of last season, given some of the players' attitudes, which we spoke about this, uh, that were prevalent in the last few games of last season, I think everybody has got a point to prove. If if I was Ancelotti, that's what I'd yeah. be telling them. Is is you, mm. you you know I don't I don't think there's. I mean, I, I suppose to be, I suppose what you'd say is if you're looking at one individual, it's like you could be, you could maybe prove something would be Brantway, wouldn't it? Yeah, if he got some game time. You know, but I think everybody's got a point to prove, really, in the squad. I mean, you probably say Richard, you probably exclude Richarlison from that, maybe one or two others. But you know what I'm saying there is that I think there's a lot of there's a lot of players who've, who've got to show that they're capable of getting in Everton's first eleven over mm. the next few few weeks. Just just on that, Gavin, I know 
um, I know every, the majority of, 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 of stuff will, will be said behind closed doors. But how do you think? How do you think Carlo, when he does does speak into the speak to the media for the first time, whether that's unlikely to be this weekend, but maybe in in, in a couple of weeks and then run up to the first game of the season? Do you think he uses that opportunity to talk, perhaps a little bit more openly about strengthening the squad um, to reinforce? You know the warning, if you like, to players that the, the you know they need to book up their ideas. Or do you, would you expect him to remain coy because of the sensitivities around negotiations, etc.? A uh, bit of bit of both, probably. Um, and what he says publicly, what he says privately, are two completely different things. Um, but I, 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 I would be. I would be I would be surprised if Carlo doesn't say something to what I just said to you there on previously that you that you 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 lost for want of a better phrase have got to show me that you're capable of being in the the first eleven starts yeah. next season I want I want to show you to you know you've got to book your ideas up from your attitudes that you showed me at the end of last season so I think he'll probably say that in private um, but publicly says it I don't know it depends on how. Transfer negotiations are going and stuff. Of course, of course. Um, okay, before we wrap up, um, I was hoping we have time to just briefly touch on this, and, and, and we do. Preno, um, Romelu Lukaku tonight will line up for Inter Milan in the final of the Europa League. Um, in many ways, he's never looked better. Um, do you think perhaps his uh, season uh, for the Italian side and the fact that he's powered them um, to, to the Europa League final and, and potentially Europa League glory? Is a reminder of, of of how good a player we had on our hands all hundred, years ago. Hundred uh, percent. enough, I was only talking about him at lunchtime. Um, I was always a huge fan, anyway, um, and I think he was unfairly criticised at times for during his spell at Manchester United. I mean, his touch has always been an issue, I think, uh, throughout his career, and his pace, his finishing ability. Um, his ability in the air and the, the reason we were talking about him somebody was talking about that banner uh, that was up on the Gladys Street uh, at times last season with all like you know the iconic Everton centre forwards mm. going from Dixie Dean Tommy Lawton and finishing up with Duncan Ferguson and it was a Liverpool fan I was talking to and he was like what's Duncan Ferguson doing on that list? And I was trying to explain to him why Duncan Ferguson was such an icon amongst Evertonians. But if you look about it in, in pure statistical terms, um, and obviously football is a lot more than just statistics, but Romelu Lukaku arguably should have been the most recent centre-forward on that banner because he was more successful than anybody we've had uh, probably in, in the Premier League era. But, you know, so fans take to strikers for very, very different reasons. And, you know, so Duncan is an icon because of his love of the football club, because of, you know, his passion on the pitch. Because lots and lots of other uh, qualities that, you know, Lukaku maybe didn't show during his time. You know, so at Everton, it was almost like a, a job to him. Whereas, you know, Duncan, it was a love affair, which is why he's adored and why Romelu Lukaku was, you know, people shrugged their shoulders. But what that shouldn't, you know, underestimate is what a good player he was at Everson Football Club. And he's showing it now for Inter, you know, so it's it's very, very tight to call that. I know Inter are favourites tonight and I'm not quite so sure why, because, you know, Seville haven't lost since February. I think Celta Vigo were the last team to beat them, you know, so way, way back. But Inter are strong favourites and largely because of how good he's been. And if mm. they're going to win tonight, you know, so it'll be him spearheading it and a very, very good footballer and unfairly maligned in lots of quarters and by lots of football fans, I think. 
33 goals and 50 appearances in all comps for uh, for Inter this season. Um, just briefly looking back to a similar period, Ad. Um, less than three years on from Ronald Koeman losing his job at Everton, he's been appointed the manager of Barcelona. The twisted, lo- <laughs> twisted, twisted logic of football never seems yeah. to amaze, does it? Yeah, I, I, I saw that news uh, the other day and literally the first thing that came to my head was uh, my appearance at Ronald Koeman's last, uh, what proved to be his last Everton game and that uh, 5-2 defeat to Arsenal at home. And I was just thinking to myself, if you'd have come up and told me that Ronald Koeman's next club job was going to be Barcelona, I'd have just laughed at you because it, 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 had, got, it had got really bad at that point for Koeman and Everton. And... Uh, it, He's, he's done the Martinez thing almost really. He's he's fallen upwards really. He's just found his found his feet in a international football and uh, managed to managed to wing his way to Barcelona. You know, circumstances just fell for him. Obviously, you know, when Barcelona come calling, especially for somebody who's a bit of a club legend like Koeman, oh, he yeah, was always yeah. going to drop everything that he had, and he was always going to go there. And you know, fair play to him for for being able to. Uh, to get that job, and who knows, he might be able, he might be able to uh, to turn them round. But as a club, I just think it's a it's a poison chalice for anybody to take that job at the minute. You know, with you know the the problems that they've got across the squad. You've got Lionel Messi who wants to leave. You've got a president who's hated by uh, by the supporters. You've got presidential elections coming up in March. I think it is. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just it's just going to be an absolutely ridiculous season for him. So he, he's taken on he's taken on quite the task. So he must he must think that he's that he can he can do something with it. So fair play to him for getting it, I suppose. No, well, of course he, he's done a good job with Holland, hasn't he? And then obviously landed yeah. the job that he, he he's coveted for for a long time. And you know, I don't think anybody would be surprised if if. Roberto's next move, if it was into club management, would be would be a big club as well. Um, Gav, thoughts on on Cumin at Barcelona? Is is that the sort of fit profile and you know you know the, the, you know something he, he'd longed for? Do you think actually he will make a better stab and a better fist of managing Barcelona than ultimately he did uh, he did Everton? Oh, it's a good question, isn't it? I'd I'd like to see um, I'd like to see. What the the Ronald Koeman style of football that was missing at Everton is mm. what he produces <laughs> at Barcelona because that was for, for me was always the problem. What what is Ronald Koeman football? Um, so I, I can't add anything to what Adam just said there. He's got a difficult job. If you said to me in 2016 though that Ronald Koeman would get the Barcelona job in 2020, I'd say, oh that's good news because that must have mean he's done a hell of a job at Everton. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. It, it, it's it's a bit of a strange one though. There was somebody who demanded me this week. There's, there's a former Barcelona coach who was who used to be a coach of a, a beach volleyball team. So you know, right. you, can, you can have that on your CV and manage Barcelona. You can manage Everton. So nobody's there. But yeah, it's, he's always coveted it. Um, but it's a bit of a poison chalice, is it? You know, mm, absolutely. Cracking. We will uh, we will leave it there. Thank you very much, chaps, for your company. Excellent as always. Covered a lot of ground there. Gabriel Decore, Alan, fixtures, and of course Lukaku and Kuman. And thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, of course, reflecting on the first preseason game of the summer. Saturday's trip to Blackpool, and maybe 
just maybe some uh, some more transfer news, but we will see. Uh, thank you very much, everybody. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.